All right, well, good evening, everyone. Um, I hope you're snug in your chairs. It's snorry time. Now, listen up, because I'm going to tell you a story. Uh, two guys, one called Saul, who was, uh, turns out to be very jealous of another guy called David. Now, um, this guy called David, his dad, Jonathan, um, one day became one in spirit with David, which meant he, he loved David as himself. Now, because of this, uh, Jonathan gave David... Um, the robe he was wearing, his tunic, and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Now, while all this happened, Saul was watching him, and you know he was uh, kind of jealous, jealous of this bond, you know, David had. Um, and because of this, Saul, Saul wanted to keep David away from Jonathan. So uh, Saul sent David away to do many different tasks, sent him on many different missions, made him fight many different battles, and. Um, Every time Saul did this, David came back successfully, gave him the perfect report, exactly what Saul wanted to hear. And because of this, Saul realised, well, actually, you know, David, this guy, he's uh, pretty good at what he does. You know, I think I'm going to give him a good rank in the army. You know, so he put him quite high up. Um, this pleased all the people of the nation and uh, Saul's officers as well. Now, one day, um, the men of the army were returning home and David and King Saul were both... Uh, both both in the, in the crowd and they were walking through the towns and uh, the, these women who are, these women in the towns, you know, they, they were pretty happy that the men were coming home and they know how to throw a party, right? They got their tambourines out, they got their lutes and they danced, they sang, they dressed up, all these sparkly, colourful clothes, right? And uh, as, as, as they were dancing, they sang and they sang Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Now, as king, you know, Saul... He might have been happy with the song, Saul has slain his thousands, but, oh no, when they started singing, David is tens of thousands, oh, he weren't happy about that, you know. He got quite angry, actually, he thought he did. You know, why on earth are they crediting him with tens of thousands and me just thousands, you know, I'm king. But, um, you know, and he thought, what more could David have but the whole kingdom? Um, so, so the next day, well, and from this point on, you know, uh, Saul kept a very jealous eye on David. Um, and the next day, Saul was in his house with David while David was playing the harp. Um, you know, as they usually did. They did this quite often. And uh, suddenly an evil spirit from God was forced upon uh, King Saul. And um, he suddenly found himself with a spear in his hand, quite angry, chucked it at David. Now, David being, you know, the nimble agile guy he is. This is how he got, he, he did so well in the army, you know, he was, you know, pretty good at what he does and he dodged it, he dodged the spear, he got out of the way. Um, but no, Saul picked up another one, had another go. David's dodged it again, he's got out of the way of two spears. Now, this made Saul quite afraid of David, he was like, how on earth has he managed to dodge two spears which I have thrown, you know, Saul, Saul knew himself, he was quite good at this and, uh, he became quite afraid of David because he realised that actually David must have the Lord with him to be able to do this. So, uh, he was quite scared. He sent David away. He didn't want to see him. So he sent him away, gave him command over a thousand men. He was like, you know, go off. So David led the troops away. He led them on their campaigns, you know, their battles, their wars, took them, took them to fight. And um, in everything he did, every battle, he had great success. And uh, this was because the Lord was with him. And when, when Saul saw how uh, successful David was, made him even more afraid, you know. How, how come this guy, you know, everything he does gets it right? 
Um, and I'll finish with, uh, you know, all of Israel and Judah, they weren't, they weren't afraid of David. They loved David because he had led them so successfully in all of their campaigns and, you know, won all these battles. So, two different, different views there, you know. One person afraid of this guy, but everybody else uh, loved, loved David, yeah. So, part two, wise words from Proverbs. This evening we'll be looking at envy and contentment. What would you think if I came down here and I went up to someone and I went like this? If I went up to Nathan and went... You see a lot of football managers doing it. Pointing at their eyes... So anyone, can anyone guess? Yeah? <laughs> Very funny. There we are, focus. Focus. I want everyone, embarrassingly, to turn to the person next to them and say, focus. In that funny voice, focus. Focus. Very good. And there'll be opportunities to do that a bit later on. <laughs> bit of a crazy start. But it's quite a trivial thing, but it reminds us that we need to keep focused when we're living for God. And envy is quite a clear example of where we can lose focus, where we can take our eyes off the prize, as it were, and look at other things. And the writer of Hebrews, we were singing it this morning uh, in S Club Worship, he says, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And that's what we want to do. We want to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and not be distracted by other things. And that's where envy comes. So the proverb um, I want us to focus on today is, uh, comes from Proverbs 14. And it's verse 30. And it says, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Read that again. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. And in this proverb, we get two contrasting things, don't we? We get envy appearing like a disease, something that's rotting the bones. It's something of decay. And then we've got peace or contentment that brings life or vitality. So let's take a look, uh, first of all, at envy, rotting the bones. And I think, first of all, ultimately, envy as we've been thinking about this evening, it's going to get in the way of our relationship with God, in our relationship with God at the end of the day. We're basically saying, thanks God for creating me and giving me life and my body and my gifts, skills and abilities and opportunities in life, but no thanks. Thanks, but no thanks. I'm not happy with what you've given me. I'm looking elsewhere. I want what that person has. How rude is that? But yet, I talk in that manner because I know how often I've done it, how often I've said, actually, thanks God, but I want what that person has. We can so often do it. How selfish, how arrogant to think that we know best. And I'm sure we've all done that at some point in our lives. It's quite a serious topic this evening. I just want us to reflect, maybe, on areas, on times where maybe we have been envious of other people, 
and think about uh, how we can become more content in God. Envy can lead to both emotional and physical harm. We can envy things ranging from as small as a video game to actually wanting to be that person. We can envy someone so much that we actually want to be them. And these things are going to be sinful if we're putting them first. If we're seeking our happiness in worldly things instead of seeking our happiness in God. It could be someone else's ability to play sport, like Jeff was saying earlier, football. It could be someone else's girlfriend or boyfriend. It could be wealth. It could be fame. It could be someone's gifting in the church that we're envious of. All these things take us away from our own gifts and talents and our own lives. I believe that we're all gifted in different ways. Some of these gifts might be more upfront than others. But we can easily get distracted from our own gifts by looking at other people's and thinking, oh, I wish I had that. I wish that I could uh, lead a small group Bible study. I wish I could arrange those flowers in that way. I wish I could do this. But we're called to use our own gifts and our own offerings, not other people's, to glorify God. And it might be that you're in a position where you're feeling worthless. You don't feel that you have much to give. And I would say straight away at the start of this talk, Look no further than the cross where Jesus gave up his life for you. The fact that he did that, the fact that he went to the cross and died for you shows that you are worth something, that you're extremely valuable to God. And he wants a relationship to you. And that's absolutely amazing. So from the start, I want to say that however you might be feeling, whether you want to uh, look to other people for happiness, God values you immensely and wants you to be in relationship with him. There was a time uh, where I was extremely envious of my brother, and this has come home, and it's amazing how when you're preparing for a talk, these things really hit you and affect you and impact you. Um, We'd been away for a couple of weeks on a family holiday to Mallorca, and it was just a really great time. There was loads of English guys from up north and down south who I got on really well with, and in the evenings we'd meet together, have a kick about, you know, have a, have a right laugh. This was when I was in kind of year nine. Some of you at the back in year nine. Had a great time. But when I was on the coach on the way home to the airport, I was actually quite upset because I was thinking about back home. When this holiday finishes, it was the end of August, I'll be back at school. And I realised that I didn't have that kind of friendship and popularity. I was one of the most popular people there on this holiday. And when I got back, I knew that I wouldn't be going back to a classroom with many friends and I wouldn't be a popular person at school. And so I began to become jealous of my brother, of his friendship with many people and his gifts and abilities. And looking at that, it kind of makes you a bit upset, but it helps you to remember where you go wrong. Envy rots the bones. Now, uh, talking about popularity, we're going to turn to 1 Samuel 18, which was um, Nathan did a brilliant um, job of dramatising earlier. And as we zoom in on the passage, we come across this young shepherd boy, David, who's just defeated Goliath in that famous victory. We did our uh, S-Club worship session this morning on David and Goliath. Jonathan's pointing to Ben at the back because Ben played David in our video. 
David has just defeated this giant, Goliath. But not without God's help, of course. He was a small shepherd boy. Goliath was a giant. And Saul, the king, is extremely grateful that David has defeated this giant and sent the Philistine army running off in the opposite direction. David returns to women, lots of women running up to him, singing. He returns to a nation that is filled with David mania. But Saul's appreciation for David soon turned into envy, as we read on. Now, apologies, I wrote this next bit before Friday. I think a few of you know what's coming. Picture England winning the World Cup. (laughs) The greatest battle. Everyone comes home and there's a media frenzy following the cup final winner. The cup final winner was Emil Heskey. He scored an amazing goal, a toe-poke goal from 50 yards. The girls are after him, the papers are after him, everyone's after him. How's Wayne Rooney feeling? Well, all the match reports said that Heskey played a blinder, either a 9 or a 10 out of 10. Wayne Rooney gets a 4 out of 10 and is substituted at half-time. Surely then he should accept that Heskey played better and that Heskey's going to inevitably be the new national hero. But I'm sure if it came to it, Wayne Rooney would much prefer to be in Emil Heskey's position than his own. And I'm sure any of us would have liked to be in that position as a national hero. And it's the same in our story when we zoom in on 1 Samuel 18, because envious thoughts and jealousy creep into Saul's head. He's jealous of David's popularity. David's come back from this victory. Everyone's chanting about David. Verse 7 tells us about the women singing to David. It says, As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. Verse 8, how does Saul respond? Saul was very angry. This refrain galled him. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? So Saul doesn't feel like he's getting enough credit for his work as the king. He's envious of David's success and fears for his status and kingship. He was comparing himself to other people. How often, when I think about my own life, do I compare myself to other people? Um, Particularly on the football field. It might be for you in flower arranging. It might be for you with your art. It might be for you in lots of different areas at school. How often do we compare ourselves to other people? The first thing people do when they get their exam results, oh, what did you get? What did you get? We go and share and ask people what they got. Now, this sinful problem of envy came to Saul, and it could, but it can rot the bones of anyone. It's not just him, and it's not just a story, it's a historical event that we're to learn from. Saul suffered with envy, and it can happen to us too. We're in a sinful world, and all the sorts of these different thoughts can come into our head at any moment. Sometimes we think, oh, it'll never happen to me, but at any moment in time, an envious thought could come into our head. So... We need to be ready. You may think, how come, well, aren't all thoughts totally outside of our control? Well, are we content in God or seeking earthly things? Are we making sure that the things around us aren't affecting us so much that we're thinking in a way that the world does? 
And I, I know that in a uh, country where adverts come on and are always advertising for the next new thing, it's extremely difficult. We want what other people have. But I don't suggest that we lock ourselves away and hide away from these things because I think that's stupid and that's not what the Bible tells us to do. But we know that there's areas where we can stop these things surrounding us. And it'd be great if we can think of some of those as we uh, learn this evening. But I would suggest that the most crucial bit is what happens next. Okay, this thought's come into my head, this envious thought, what happens next? Do we take the envious thoughts to God, pray about them, and get them out of our system? Or do we let room, do we let the devil have room to continue to use those thoughts for evil and progress with that? Verse 9 of the passage says, And from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. It wasn't just a thought that came to his head. He acted on that and he continued to keep a jealous eye on David. He didn't sort out this problem of of sin and it continued to entangle him. Will you stop envy in its tracks when it comes knocking on the doorstep or continue to keep a jealous eye on people? Saul now has what I would call a grudge on David, which is a very bad thing indeed and we can all have grudges on people. But can you see the... The layers forming. There's the first bit where the thought comes into his head. But he doesn't get rid of it. He doesn't deal with it. He doesn't seek God. And it continues to grow. Verse 10 says, The next day an evil spirit from God came forcefully upon Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the harp as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. And I think if we're envious, like Saul is, of a godly character, whether it's in the church or someone we know, who's using their gifts to glorify God, then we completely miss the point, haven't we? God wants us to be more like Christ. He wants us to grow and get closer to him. And just because someone has a different gift or character that we might want that we can't have, doesn't mean that we can't work on our own gifts to continue to live in a godly life in the environment that God's given us. Now, something I just want to uh, think about for the moment is flipping things a bit to the reverse. There's not evidence from this passage to suggest that David was arrogant or proud in his achievement. In fact, the Bible says that he was quite the opposite. But at the minute, I just think that we have a role to play making sure that we remove sinful opportunities to make people envious of ourselves. I'm not saying don't celebrate that beautiful piece of artwork that you've made or stop being good at what you do. But if we go too far, then we can become arrogant and proud about the things God's given us. And God's given the gifts to us and he can take them away. We need to make sure that we remove easy opportunities for other people to become envious of us. And I think I speak uh, for all of us because I know clear examples in my life where I could have um, been a lot more gracious, a lot less arrogant and proud and boastful when I was doing something well or on top of the world. And we have a, I think we have a responsibility to make sure that the devil doesn't just get into our own lives but into those 
around us, our friends and family members as well. Now, if envy isn't detected at an early stage, there can be severe consequences. Verse 12 says, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David but had left Saul. The Lord had left Saul. Saul has got to a stage where he's pushed God out of the picture and this net he's been caught in by this envy that's been built up is tangling him up all the more. And I pray that none of us will get into that hopeless position. It can happen. God is always there to help us. But Saul at this point didn't ask God for help. He pushed him to the side and rejected him. The problem could have been dealt with a lot earlier on if he'd only looked up. Envy rots the bones, as the proverb says. So, what does it mean to be at peace? We've talked a bit about envy and this rotting of the bones. But part of the proverb says, at heart at peace gives life to the body. Well, I think we need to be satisfied in God. I think we need to look to him for all our needs. Don't try and live our lives by ourselves and shut him out like I believe Saul was in this passage. That's what Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden. And that's what we can often continue to do today in our lives. As Christians, if we continue to live for the Lord, then we have a great hope for the future. We have a great hope. We have the hope of heaven and eternal life. If you're not a Christian here today, that is the massive hope that we have. And we meet together to celebrate what God's done for us, that he's provided a way for us to be in relationship with him. We look forward to being with him in heaven. Not a boring place, it's an extremely exciting place that we're looking forward to. And so, thinking about contentment, if we're Christians, then we're looking forward to things that are eternal, that are forever. And we need to be careful that we don't get stuck on temporary worldly things. Contentment in Christ will mean you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. It means you'll be able to focus as we were saying earlier. And when disaster strikes, you can still be content in the knowledge that your future is secure in Christ. Philippians 3 verse 8 says, What is more, and this is Paul speaking, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. In that situation, Paul compares everything a loss, all worldly things a loss to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. If we're not satisfied by what we've been giving, then we're by what we've been given by the grace of God, then we'll continue to be discontent. We'll go seeking other things that the world says is exciting and entertaining. And to some extent, things that the world says are exciting and entertaining are, but only short term and only very temporary. This life, I've heard many people say, is a mere speck of dust compared, compared to eternity and the hope of heaven. Something that, um, I'm quite philosophical. I did philosophy at A-level and I just love thinking outside the box. But something that always got me was the fact that we're in a unique position. And it's overwhelming sometimes when you just keep thinking about it. We can't be everywhere all the time. Not because life's random, but because it's quite the opposite. We can't experience everything there is to experience on this earth. 
It's impossible. I can't be born into a different family. I can't change uh, the place place or date of my birth. I can't change my middle name. Some of you know what that is. Um, Keep that quiet for now. I can't change my skin colour, although some try. We're all in a unique situation. We all have a unique story. Not by random chance, but by God's will, his creativity and his plan for our lives. The more we want that we haven't got, the more we stray away from God's will for us. How often do we do that? If you think of our uh, paths, God wants us to uh, live his will out as a set of train tracks. How often do we stray away from that and go our own way? Staggering to think that... (laughs) even though God helps us and he uses bad for good to get us back on track, so often we veer off. I know I veer off so far, I'd be down as far as, I don't know, what's that? (laughs) What's down that way? Norfolk or something. (laughs) Up a bit to the right. (laughs) There's so much I can't change through circumstance and through God's plan for my life. But what I can change is my attitude. What I can change is my attitude. I can give my all and use my gifts I've been given to glorify God. I can make the most of the people I come across through whether social activity or through work. Why would I want to change anything about the set of circumstances that God's given me when I can live my life in his hands? And that's the safest place to be, isn't it? In God's hands. Because he knows what's best for us. Why look anywhere else? Why take our eyes off the prize? At the start of uh, 1 Samuel 18, at the start of the passage that was read out for us, Jonathan gives us a great example of uh, contentment. And he eradicates an opportunity to become proud or boastful when he takes off his robe and gives it to David, who's his best mate. He also gives him his armour, his sword his bow and belt. This is extremely significant because in those times, those sort of things uh, symbolise your status. And Jonathan was prince. He was next in line to the throne. And what he did is he took all that stuff off and gave it to David. That was unheard of at that time. But what Jonathan knew was that being best of friends with David was far more important than having status. And he was recognising David's achievement, something that Saul failed to do. He was giving him the highest praise he could have given him. And sometimes being content means having less in in a worldly state, in a worldly sense. But Jonathan remains the closest of friends with David throughout that. Sometimes we think to be content in God, to live for God, means giving up everything and... I think we do need to give up everything, but sometimes God can then bless us through that. It doesn't mean, oh, it's going to be rubbish now. So are you content in your relationship with God? If you haven't put your trust in God this evening, I would say that you will forever be looking for everlasting happiness until you put your trust in God. You might find it, as I said, in the short term, but by no means in the long term. You won't have a hope for the future. So it's our prayer here that you might find that, that you might come to God and put your trust in him.
Maybe there's an emptiness inside of you at the minute. Maybe you're not feeling content. Maybe you have been um, thinking about some of the things we've talked about this evening, that there's this strong envy of other people. Well, God can fill that massive void with hope for the future and he can help us to be content in him. If only we would put our life in his hands. The proverb says, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. I just want to finish on a verse from uh, Philippians 4. Philippians 4 verse 12. And Paul says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Isn't that my prayer and your prayer this evening, that we would learn to be content in all situations? Let's not get distracted by the things around us. Let's not envy other people around us. Let's keep focused. So one more time, let's turn to the person next to us. Focus. Let's hear everyone on three. One, two, three. Focus. (laughs) Very good.